Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so thrilled to be joined today by Nicola Harrison, the author of Montauk. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks so, ha- much, thanks so much for having me. And <laughs> I adore, adore the book. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm sure you hear that all the time from like <laughs> adoring fans, but you know, I'm one of those that was reading it from cover to cover, except that, you know, life got in the way, and I, I'd go through my day thinking, I have to get back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> You can never hear too much of that. No, it always sounds good. (laughs) Absolutely. So just for our viewers, tell us a little bit about the story and the setting so we can get into it. Yeah, so um, Montauk takes place in the summer of 1938, and it follows the story of Beatrice Bordeaux, who, she comes from a modest family, um, and she marries a wealthy, wealthier gentleman. Lucky girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so for the summer of 1938, she's going to spend the summer in Montauk, and um, she's going to stay at the Montauk Manor with the other high society wives while the husbands go back and forth to the city on the weekends, a little bit like they do now sometimes. Uh, back right? and forth to the city. <laughs> Something's um, never changed. Yeah. Um, and so it's her husband who wants her to do this. And so, she, so he recommends that she go and stay at the, at the manor. Um, and, but what, what's interesting is as the story unfolds, she becomes more interested in the lives of the locals than with these high society women. And so as her life becomes entwined with theirs, um, some complications unfold. Complications <laughs> unfold. Just say that. We'll just leave it at that. I love that. Complications <laughs> unfold. And and Beatrice is very much uh, a woman after my own heart. You know, a strong-minded. You know, born a, a little too early to really yeah. be able to embrace her own independence. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting time. You know, in the thirties. It's an interesting time for women, and it's, um, you know, just to see her sort of a little ahead of her time, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She and I would be friends right, right. now. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had to be born in the 30s, I don't think it would go very well, so I can understand her dilemma. Right, exactly. Now, what made you interested in this time period? Well, first of all, I became interested in the place. Oh, because, okay. Because um, I, I used to have a house out in Montauk, a summer house. Um, and so I spent a lot of time out there, and then, uh, um, and then I I was doing some research about Montauk, and, right, and I just right. became interested in that time period because um, Carl Fisher, who was the gentleman who developed Montauk, he he um, first of all he bought land in Miami, right, and he developed Miami, and, and at the time it was just swamp groves, uh, mangroves, and now and it's, it's all and the they, Art Deco right. and everything else. So he built it to what it is, you know, today. And then he set his eyes, his sights on uh, Montauk. He likes hurricane zone things, doesn't <laughs> he? <laughs> apparently, yeah, apparently, which is a problem for him. Um, so then he bought the land in Montauk, 
And then it was just, you know, open fields and cattle grazing. There was the lighthouse and there was a small fishing village. Um, but that was pretty much it. Right. So he bought the land, he started developing it. He, um, he built the Montauk Manor, which okay. he called um, the Castle by the Sea because it's like up on the hill and has a view of the ocean and everything. Wow. Um, and so that's when he... And that and was the time period. That was the time so period. So it was actually you spending time in Montauk researching. So if all the cool stuff had happened in the, the, the 40s or the 20s, the book could have plausibly been in one of those other times. Right, periods. right. I mean, he started developing it in the 20s, but by the 30s, it was firmly established right. as like a resort town. And Carl Fisher marketed it like, um, what did he say? Summer. What did he say? Summer, summer in, in Montauk, oh, winter, in winter in, in Miami. Miami. And so that's oh, what people to, did. to have that kind of time and luxury, <laughs> to just summer in Montauk and winter in Miami. Yeah, it's not bad. Now, since you had a house there and you were spending time, um, I know that our our uh, female protagonist here um, gets in with the locals. Are any of those locals reminiscent of people you know? Like, <laughs> are, are, did you kind of pattern like, oh, a little bit? Well, so it was interesting when we bought our house in Montauk. It's it's by the um, by the golf course, and um, we bought this house from a lobster fisherman oh, wow. in Montauk, and his name was Billy. And so they were selling, and they were actually moving to. To Florida. Miami. <laughs> to Miami. I don't know if it was Miami, but they're moving to Florida. That's very funny. And so um, so when we got the house, we'd go into town and we'd talk to the local people working at the grocery store and the liquor store and the fish market and, and we'd introduce ourselves trying to get to know them. And they'd say, oh yeah, I know where your house is. You, you live in Billy's house. <laughs> and, and we were like, oh yeah. And for years it was Billy's, Billy's house, house. because, And I just felt... Um, nostalgic for that sense of yes. community and that loyalty to Billy. I was like, I kind of love that. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. So long after Billy was in Florida, it's still, it probably in still Miami. is considered Billy's it's house. It's still Billy's house. <laughs> it's, and, and you've, you're not living there any longer. No, no. And it's not, you know, Nicola's house. It was, <laughs> it Billy's was never house. Nicola's house. It was always Billy's house. <laughs> That's very funny. So I thought that was, that kind of, you know, drew me to, to the lives of these locals. Yeah. Fabulous. Now I always wonder with fiction writers, because I'm infinitely jealous of you. <laughs> um, when you were writing the book, did you have a whole outline in your head? They always say fiction writers are either planners or they just go, you know, let their fingers do the walking. <laughs> How about you? I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. Okay. Yeah, so so at the beginning I knew what the story was going to be. Okay. Um, I had a sense of who the character was going to be and then I knew the beginning, the middle, and the end. Okay. But I didn't know who was going to come into her life along the way and, right. and other things that would happen. So I just started writing. And I mean, there are some characters in here that become her best friends. And I didn't necessarily know that they were going, these characters were going to have a role in the book. I love that. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, in a, a television show, somebody you'll hear afterwards was supposed to just play the next door neighbor. Right. And all of a sudden, they were the main love interest, <laughs> and, and they have their own show yes. because it just went in a way that they didn't expect. Yes, and I've heard other writers say, oh, these characters take on a life of their own, and I thought, okay, sure. I mean, how do they really, <laughs> you're writing the book, but it, it's true. I always hear that. It's true. And, and, and some other authors will say to me that they were sitting at their computer and crying and thinking, I can't believe she just died. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you killed her. Right. <laughs> like, I know. What, what's the problem? But you here? get so wrapped up in the story, and you're, you're writing it, and it, it is funny how it just sort of unfolds sometimes without you even knowing it. I, I can't even. <laughs> 
imagine typing without knowing where <laughs> I was going with this. Yeah. One of these days, I really want to try fiction for myself. And, but I'm sure to get to the point that your fingers can take off is 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 quite far in coming. So well, I think it's you I'll know keep you halfway through <laughs> the book. I think when you get to that point in the book, you're like, okay, this is going to work because these these right. characters right. are doing things without me realizing and so you're like okay this book's gonna work <laughs> <laughs> did any characters completely surprise you um yeah i would say her friend dolly mm -hmm. she became a very prominent figure in this book and, and, and a great and she friend was supposed to, to be a little a little tiny cameo yeah, character. kind of and and so it surprised me that she came on and and as such a large role and I love her. <laughs> I loved her too. I absolutely. Loved she would be her my too. friend. <laughs> <laughs> They'd all be my friends. Yes. <laughs> They'd absolutely all be my <laughs> friends. Now, so it's already a bit. I don't want to say autobiographical, but you lived in Montauk. Is mm -hmm. any of this? Did you marry a rich guy? Anything <laughs> else? <laughs> um, any other tie-ins with your life? Well, kind of. I mean. She is a woman who's finding herself, and um, she loses someone who's very close to her um, in, in this book. And I had also lost someone. I lost my brother um, when I was 18. Thank you. And so it was interesting. I was writing this book, and I knew that I wanted Beatrice to have gone through a, a loss in her right. life. And I was writing it in a different way, like she had lost somebody else. And then right, I thought, right. this is... And I got to a point, I thought, this is kind of crazy. I've actually had this experience, and I was about, you know, a little bit younger than her. Um, and so I thought, oh, let me just try and write it like that. Mm -hmm. And I did, and then it started to feel much more true, much more realistic. And then I was really able to tap into some of those emotions um, that I had had myself. And um, I just think it, it helped the character come to life as a real person. I'm so glad you said that, because so often writing teachers, even the greats, will say, write what you know. Right. And you kind of wonder, especially as a fiction writer, well, I'm supposed to be making it all up. Right. You know, uh, it's one thing to write what you know for our nonfiction authors who are writing about their business industry or something. Mm -hmm. You're writing about fictional characters, but you are taking from what you know. You know the area of Montauk like the back of your hand. Mm -hmm. You know the feelings of loss. Mm -hmm. You know these certain things and you've tied them in so that the book is absolutely brutally authentic and I think that that's such a great insight to offer other people. Oh thank you, thank you and I think there's sometimes, at least for me, there's a hesitation. I'm like okay I know you're supposed to write what you know but I don't want it to sort of become your story. Yes. Yeah, so no, there's I a hesitation that. but then really when you go there and it's not necessarily that you're writing the same story that you've had no. but sometimes it's just a case of tapping into a certain emotion or right. for example in my case I was 18 when I lost my brother, and all of my friends were like applying to go to colleges, and we were cheerleaders in high school, and you know, we were just very wrapped up in our own 18-year-old right. worlds. Yes. And all of a sudden, I had this big disconnect where I couldn't even talk to my friends, and they didn't know what to say to me. And and all of a sudden, I felt like I was thrust into this um, adulthood that I wasn't quite ready for, and so. That's the kind of emotion that I channeled and into And that's this something book. that you understand that other people who did not experience this would only understand sadness, grief, maybe even anger, but not what you're describing. Right. It's a little, yeah, different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just by the fact, I mean, you're obviously were not around in 1938. <laughs> you look too good for that. 
<laughs> so, you know, it is a very different character than yourself, mm -hmm. but she's a strong woman who's who's seeking, you know, answers in her life. Right. There's nothing wrong with that being in a tie-in. Right. And it exactly. means that you understand things. Right. <laughs> I think that that's fabulous. And quite frankly, you know, you're a talented writer. If you were writing from the point of view of a, a man involved in something, you're still writing what you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're drawing from your own experiences. Mm -hmm. You're not writing in a vacuum. Right, exactly. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Now, is there another book coming out? And is it also in Montauk, or did you have to buy another house? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm just going to have to buy a house every, every time now. I want to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do have another book coming out, um, and it's going to be coming out the summer of um, 2021. Okay. It does not take place in Montauk. So where's the new house? <laughs> <laughs> this one takes place um, in the Adirondacks. Okay. And also in Manhattan. And it's set in the 20s during Prohibition. Okay. And the main character is a showgirl. She's a Ziegfeld girl. And uh, so she's a lot of fun to write. Very different from, from Beatrice. Wow. Very different. Okay. Very sort of you know, confident and a little too, too confident at times. Oh, yeah, yeah well, we trouble. all have that problem sometimes, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> so, so they go back and forth between the Adirondacks and the city. And, um, and you don't have a house in the Adirondacks? Not yet. But, you know, maybe if the book gets made into a movie. Oh, I'll well, then <laughs> there could open a whole resort. But I did go up and visit and I'm spend sure. some time up there. Well, that's one of the things I loved in Montauk was I, you've lived there, yes, but you've obviously researched the age. Right. You know, everything that you were describing, not just about the area. I mean, you could have lived in Montauk all you want, but you didn't live there in 1938. Right, right. You obviously did your research. Yeah. So my research started at the Montauk Library, and I would just read all of the local history books and um, pour over all of those details. And they have these great um, um, photographic books of all, um, you know, the hurricane of 1938 happened. Yes. Happens in this book. And so there are a lot of images of that and descriptions of, of you know, it actually happening. And then I went to the lighthouse and I did, a, you know, several tours of the lighthouse and met with a local historian. And then I also interviewed some locals, some longtime locals who are in Montauk now and they've lived there their whole lives. There was one gentleman and his wife who, um, had lived in Montauk their whole life, and they remembered the hurricane of 1938, and so they told me about that. They were in high school at the time. And um, they they told me some funny details. They said that they remembered when these uh, summer visitors started coming to Montauk. And he was a teenager at the time, and him and his friends would go down to the beach club and be the entertainment. And so they'd do things like tie themselves up in potato sacks and jump in the deep end of the swimming pool. <laughs> and then they would time them on how long it took them to come to the surface. That sounds fun. <laughs> uh, a little dangerous, but fun. And so they'd make a few bucks that way. And then they also did this thing called the Greasy Pig Contest, which um, I put in the book, where they chase around a pig and grease up the pig and chase him around and catch him. <laughs> and it's amazing what used to be entertaining before Netflix. I know. Right? <laughs> So that, it was fun to get some, some real-life um, experiences Absolutely. from him. Absolutely. No, the research part of it must be fun. Were it's you fun. always into research before? I mean, I've always been interested in the past and details that, you know, things like that. But um, I, I'm also interested in the fashion of the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit because I, looking you up, you're a fashionista. And I want to <laughs> definitely hear about that. I had to pick out what I was going to wear just to make sure I looked <laughs> Well, you look fabulous. Well, thank you. Thank you. But uh, tell us about your fashion business. Yeah, so, well, I, um, pr prior to writing this book, I was a fashion journalist. And so I used to write for Forbes, um, uh, cover fashion and style for men and women. And then um, after I had my son, I 
went freelance on the journalism, and then I started a personal styling business, mostly because my friends would be like, okay, what should I wear, and how should I wear it? <laughs> and you it? wanted and to start charging them. Yes, I, I get thought, that. This, this could be quite lucrative. Absolutely. So I um, started a personal styling business, and so, it's, so yeah, I have you know a fashion background. But I really loved researching the fashion of the 30s. and So in the book, when somebody walks into a room, I'll tell our viewers, you know exactly what they're wearing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted to have like a themed launch party for this book, but then I thought, oh, people might not know what to wear, and then they won't show up. So <laughs> keep, it, keep it regular. <laughs> but certainly fashion was a major part of the book, but it was a major part of the era. Right, yeah. You know, and these men and women were dressing for dinner and you know, dressing for their luncheons and dressing to go down to breakfast. Do and you find life nowadays more boring than that? I mean, we all kind of wear the same. Yeah, I, I do, actually. You know, and I, I fall into the same ruts myself. I end up wearing jeans every day, yeah, especially when I'm writing. I'm like, jeans and a sweater, jeans and a sweater. But um, I bet you wear really nice jeans <laughs> and a sweater. <laughs> but it is fun to think that, you know, they're going to dinner, and so they dress to the nines and, right. you know, even going to the uh, the beach club for the Greasy Pig contest. They're dressed in their finery. Yes. We no longer even have finery. We don't. <laughs> you know, except for the day you get married. Right. You really don't have finery I know, anymore. I know. It's a lost art. It is. Now, when you're researching your next book, you said that was in the 20s, so now you have all different clothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's a lot of fun because there's the whole flapper era and wow. the girls, you know, and the girls have this new sense of freedom. And um, so, but it's very different. Styles are very different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to learn all about the 20s when right. I read about that book. <laughs> but it's not that it's about fashion in any way. It's just sort of the backdrop of what Absolutely. they're wearing. Mm -hmm. Now, did they get it right on the cover? Is that... Uh... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to make sure they did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm sure that was, you, you checked out the shoes and the dress and the hairstyle and Even, everything. Well, the hair. They had, they had an, a different... Um, girl in a red dress and her hair was more like 50s and I said no no that won't work oh really <laughs> yeah so you saw the cover and yes. you said no no yes but actually before that even happened the cover was very different okay the cover was um because you know the whole publishing process takes a long time right, and right and so you get to see the cover long before the book's going to come out and it was actually a scene of the beach and it had a line of um laundry hanging okay. kind of sheer so yes. you can kind of see through and I thought it was beautiful beautiful cover very calm and um, I was a little nervous because I'd heard horror stories of people um, their seeing their book covers and being like, oh, I hate it. And then they, <laughs> there's nothing they can do about it. Right, but right. I loved it. So I thought, oh, this is great. But then when it came time to sell, the, for the publishers to sell the book to the bookstores, right. there was one bookstore in particular, a big one. <laughs> ah, who shall remain nameless. <laughs> who said, oh, I don't love the cover. Really? I don't love the cover, yeah. They said it just doesn't look historical enough. And there was some truth to that. It could okay. have been a contemporary novel right, when you right. looked at it. Um, and so they changed the cover and they came up with this one. And this one actually I love even more. Oh, good. Yeah, I love it even more. And it's, oh, I think this goodness. stands out more. So I was very happy in the end. <laughs> now, was the title always Montauk? At first it was um, the Montauk Manor. Okay. Because so much takes place at the Montauk Manor. Right. And, um, and then after discussing it with them, they suggested cutting it to Montauk. And I loved that idea, but I felt a little nervous. I was like, well, can I just own Montauk like exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like Do Madonna I have that right? has just like one name. Yes. I, I agree. Having just one word is but, that but, scary. Um, but I'm so glad because I, I love it. I love the name. I love the name mm -hmm. and I love the cover. I especially love how the writing is the same color as her dress. Yes. I think it's striking. So they went from the, the other cover and they, they gave you a girl wearing red with the wrong hairdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but they were very nice. They showed it to me and said, do you like this one? And I was like, oh, I like the girl, but I don't like the hair. And, you know, maybe red, on the, maybe blue is, would be better for the beach. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think so. And I'm a red person, but right. I, I think that there's something about this and Montauk. It's beach color. Right. Yes. You know, it looks like a And it beach feels like ring. something that Beatrice would wear. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. I, I love just for people to hear all the pieces that go into making all of these decisions. Yeah. And even the fact that it looked like it was a go and some bookstore pulled that final straw and right. said no. Yes. Interesting. It's amazing who has power in I this know. world. <laughs> I learned a lot. You think that you have power. Yeah. And, and you don't. Were there any things in the book that you had to change because of publishers or did they no. not like uh, a character where they were going etc um no no they nothing in the story really changed nothing major just you know minor tweaks here and okay. there um there is a character in here called genie mm -hmm. i had originally called her Ginny. okay and then i recently got married and my new mother-in-law is called Ginny. And then, but Jeannie is not the nicest character. No, exactly. Oh. And I was just getting married, and I thought, you know, I really want to have a good relationship with my new mother-in-law. Oh. So I changed it to Jeannie. <laughs> but in my mind, she's still Ginny. That is the sweetest thing I have ever heard a writer say. I was like, say. I really want to start this relationship off on the right foot. <laughs> I am so glad you weren't published yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you were still at this side of the fence so yeah. that you could do that, and you and, and you and Ginny are getting along well? Yeah, we get along great. <laughs> I think this had a lot to do with it. <laughs> Did you tell her? Yes. <laughs> and I assume she's read the book. Yes, she has. No, she's a great supporter. She had her book club read it, and then she's been telling all of her friends. So. And, and she said, I was supposed to be this character. <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Phew! Yeah. Dodge that bullet. Yes, yes. That's very funny. You know, I think about that because now, now you have children, and when you're naming children, and I'm guessing it's similar, I've never written fiction myself, but when you're naming children, didn't you think about all the people in your life who had certain names? Right, yeah. You know, I remember my husband wanted to name our daughter a name that I love the name, except I had a very bad experience with that name years ago. Yeah, yeah. And then gone. Yeah. That name is just ruined for me forever. Yeah. And you do think about what if you know, if you name a child something, and then in your life from that moment on is someone who is either close to you or, ooh, yeah. hands off, and now you're kind of stuck. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, when we were naming my son, who's now 13 months, my husband and I were going through through names, and he was like, no, not that one. There was a guy in college right. who, who I didn't like for whatever reason. I'm like, really? I don't get to use that name because of that. I, but I get it. I get it. And you would get it, too, if yeah. it was somebody that you, you of know, course. an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. I don't want to name the child after yeah, that. Yeah, of course. And so, it's the same thing with characters in books. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you have that baggage. <laughs> you do have that baggage, but yours was a story of, you know, future baggage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> About to be baggage. Mm -hmm. Any uh, Beatrice, is that, why was that the name that you picked for? You know, that... I just liked the name, and it just came to me, and it just felt right for her. I didn't overthink it. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that's probably the best advice you're offering to our readers today. Don't overthink yeah. it. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about writing process, because I know so many of our viewers 
want to write. I'm right. say 90% of the population wants to write. So you are preaching to the <laughs> choir here of people who want to write. Do you do it at a set time? Do you do it in the morning? Do you do it at night? Do you have a drink first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I write in the morning. So if I had a drink first, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> tea. I have tea. You have tea. Okay. Yes. Um, so I write when my son is in school. My older son is in school. She's a practical writer. <laughs> <laughs> I, now, now I've sort of got it down. Like, get him off to school and then I go to this space called the writer's room. Mm -hmm. So I live in Manhattan and um, it's this space that's just for writers. It's a big loft space with all desks and it's totally silent. And just, It's like a library with no books. Yes, with no books, exactly. Just books in the works. <laughs> now, I assume you know, you pay for using such a space. Yes. You'd prefer that over, say, the library, which is like <laughs> the library with books. Well, yeah, you pay a membership, but it's it's small. They do a great job of getting grants from the city right. for it. So it's a small membership fee, okay. and I get so much done there. Do you? Okay. Yes. Just, I think because when I walk through that door, I'm in the mindset, like, I'm writing now, and everyone else here is writing. Right. And it's silent, and there are no distractions. Um, I mean, you can chat with people when you go to the kitchen to make a coffee. Right, right. <laughs> but um, I think it's just being around other like-minded people. You know that there's work getting done. Um, so, yeah. I like the attitude of having a dedicated space. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly not everyone can go to a place like this. Right. Um, some people are in, you know, Starbucks. Yes. Or things like that. But the fact that, the way you said the mindset. Yes. You walk in, and whatever place you're going to choose, and it could even be you know, an office in your home, yes. but that that's dedicated space and you have a mindset. Exactly, that's right. And like you say, it can be Starbucks, but you know that when you walk in there and you get out your laptop, that's what you're doing. You're not, right. you know, sending emails or paying bills. <laughs> yeah. Do they cut the Wi-Fi to the place? <laughs> they, they do have Wi-Fi because a lot of people want to research. Research. Look things up. Right, right. You can, some people, I don't do it, some people have a program on their computer that will shut down the internet so they it bans them from going yes, on and yes. wasting time. I need that. The internet is just so tempting. I know. It really is so tempting. Well, I go to look up something like, really quick, like, you know, 1930s. And then you're down a rabbit Next hole. Next thing you know, it's like, I <laughs> responded know. to five emails. And I know. Isn't it terrible? Yeah. It's just so, you know, how do you stay? So you don't use the program. You have self-control. Well, I know I have limited time mm -hmm. because I'm usually home by the time my son gets out of school. So okay. I have, I'm from writing from about 9.30 until about 3. Okay, and that's it. And so that's you better it. get it done. Yeah, I, I know. I, you know. I have to get it done because after that in the afternoons, there's no way. Right, right. <laughs> and when I'm on a deadline or I have edits to do, I might do some more work when the kids have gone to bed. Right, mm -hmm. right. So dedicated time and space, trying to block out distractions. <laughs> yes. And um, I find accountability is very good. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so who, who are you accountable to? Well, I'm in a writing workshop. Um, so every Thursday night, I meet with about eight other writers. And we bring seven pages, and we just read them out loud. So oh. that we don't expect each other to read each other's work in advance. We right. just read them out loud, our pages that we've written that week, or right. something that we've been working on. And then we give each other a gut feedback. Wow. And it's really helpful, just for one thing, because I've been working with them for a while now, so we sort of trust each other's uh, feedback. But also, it's just like knowing that on Thursday nights, I have to show up with eight pages. Right. <laughs> um, oh. And it you just. You can't keep reusing. Yeah, you can't. You sound ridiculous. So <laughs> it just holds you accountable. So I tell, when people ask me if I have advice for, getting, for writing a book, I say get a group of friends together who are writers, or get a group of writers together, even if it's just one or two other people. 
and get a date on the calendar, meet with them weekly or every two weeks or even just once a month. Or you could send it on email, but just have that accountability right. of showing up for each other and uh, sending your pages to somebody else. Terrific mm -hmm. advice. And not just the accountability part, but the feedback part mm -hmm. is so important. You yes. know, writing can be such a lonely act. It's true. Mm -hmm. And and to actually listen. Now, whether you want to take the feedback or ignore it, that's yeah. your choice. But I think that hearing it. Yes, exactly. It's, is incredibly it's valuable. And also hearing yourself read your own work out loud. Sometimes you figure out some of the issues just when you're reading it out loud. You're like, oh, this is just isn't working. <laughs> or, or, you know, this would be better if I didn't. Well, I tell people that all the time. Read your stuff out loud. You'll find every grammatical error yes. that there is when you read it out yes, loud. Yes, exactly. Fantastic <laughs> advice. Well, I am so thrilled that you were here to join us. And boy, you are just filled with tips for our, <laughs> our new writers out there. Um, but for our readers out there, we have Montauk right now. Mm -hmm. And we have, well, we don't know the name, but there is <laughs> More to come. Yes, more to come. There is more to come. So thank you so much for joining us, Nicola. Thank you so much for having me. And, and for our viewers, pick up Montauk from Nicola Harrison and keep tuned because there'll be more to come. And if you're interested in writing, boy, have you got some good tips. So get a pen out and get started. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us for Once and Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.